Good morning. It's a blessing for me to bring you the good news of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to be talking about being a perfect Christian. What does it mean to be a perfect Christian? Is there such a thing as a perfect Christian? We find that the scripture says let's move on to maturity or if we read the King James translation, it says, let us move on to perfection. So today I want to talk a little bit about this perfection, what this is, and how it looks. Uh, we need to understand that Jesus Christ, when he was walking upon the face of the earth, he was subject to weakness, yet he was perfect. Paul even calls uh, himself and people that are minded like him perfect. So what is a perfect Christian? Can you be a perfect Christian? Is it something that you can never attain? That's what we're going to look at today. Now, our reading is going to be from Hebrews chapter 5. and I'm going to read from verse 7. And we're going to look at how Jesus walked perfectly before the Father. One thing that we need to understand is that should Jesus have walked perfectly according to the law, that it wouldn't have meant salvation for him. Because Jesus couldn't save himself into eternal life by his own works. Uh, there is no such a thing as salvation by your own works. Jesus trusted and relied upon the Father. The Father raised him from the dead. The Father was the one that brought him life. We even find in the Old Testament there was a man, a rich young ruler, that came to Jesus. And he said to Jesus, Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus said to him, obey the law. And the guy said, well, I'm doing everything. What do I still lack? And what we can see by that is that the law lacks eternal life. It cannot give eternal life. The Bible even says in Hebrews that if there was a law by which life could have, could have been manifested to man, then salvation or eternal life or righteousness would have been by the law. But there is no law that has been designed to do that. The purpose of the law was not to bring forth uh, eternal life in man. It was to point us to Jesus or to point us to the Father that raised Jesus from the dead so that our faith can be in God and that he can, by his resurrection power, by his life that he shares and makes available for us, bring forth eternal life in us. So we're going to look at Jesus here and we can see... Uh, the prayer that he prayed in Hebrews chapter 5. And this is uh, from verse 7. It says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. So Jesus was going through a very difficult time when he was on the earth. He was made subject to mortality. He was made subject to suffering. He was made subject to being as what we are today. He was at a place where he had to obey the Father, where he had to believe upon the Father to raise him from the dead. We can see here that he had prayers towards God the Father who could save him from death. And then it says, he was heard. The prayer that he prayed was heard. And why? It says here, because of his reverent submission. 
So he submitted himself to God. He reverently had reverence for God and he submitted to God and he believed. He believed in the Father. What did he believe? He believed that the Father could raise him up on the third day. He lived by faith. <clears throat> Jesus Christ was not justified by works. Or let not use the word justified. Let's say he was not raised from the dead because of his own good works. Uh, it wasn't as if he had enough merit in heaven by his own good works where the law was taken out and was said he never did anything wrong. Therefore, he can be raised from the dead. That's not why Jesus was raised. Although I do believe that Jesus lived a perfect, holy, sinless life. He wasn't raised from the dead because of his perfect, holy, sinless life. He was raised from the dead because of the faithfulness of the Father that raised Jesus Christ up from the dead. How Jesus lived the perfect life was to believe the Father and never fall into a place where he would find his life from his own works. Jesus never uh, stood before the Father and says, well, I'm a Jew, I'm circumcised on the eighth day, I'm of the stock of uh, this or that or whatever, Joseph is my father, you know, I'm born, I am of the tribe of Judah, and so forth. He didn't do any of that. He didn't say to the Father, I have lived a holy life, therefore righteousness must come my way, or any of those kind of things. He just had one thing, and this was mentioned in Matthew, and that was that he will live from every word that comes from the mouth of God. And what is the word that came from the mouth of God? If we go and study Matthew 4 and go back to Matthew 3, the word that came from the mouth of God is, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. A son would mean uh, in uh, 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 someone that is born from God. Now, we found that Jesus Christ did not see sonship manifest in him at that point in time. But later on, we find that he was raised from the dead, born from the Father, as it is written in Acts 13 and as well in the Psalms, when he was raised from the dead. So <clears throat> the point that I want to make here is that Jesus Christ had a reverent submission to God. And then it goes on in verse 8, it says, Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Okay, so we can see here that Jesus was not perfect. Now that might make the hair on your head stand up and say, Bertie, you know, how can you say Jesus was not perfect? Now, when we look at Jesus, we see the perfect Lamb of God. He was absolutely perfect in being the Lamb of God. We can also say that Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. He was without sin. The Bible says he was tempted. You can read right here in chapter 4. It says, and let me read it from verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but was an all, excuse me, but have uh, been tempted just as we are, and he was without sin. So he was tempted the way we were, and he was without sin. So I'm not saying that Jesus Christ was a sinner. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is, is that Jesus Christ was not perfect, and that he had to be made perfect. And that perfection is defined as uh, being raised from the dead to have a physical body that cannot die, 
that's not subject to death, that cannot become hungry, thirsty, that doesn't need oxygen or food to live, wherein the fullness of God manifests in him bodily. Now, prior to having a body like that, he had a body that could be tempted. Jesus Christ could be tempted. Some would say, no, but Jesus was too holy to be tempted, but that that would not line up with the scriptures. Jesus Christ was in the desert and he was tempted of the devil. And he was going through a very difficult time and he became hungry. Now, I don't want to repeat myself. I've preached this many times, uh, but you all know that Jesus Christ became hungry. Why do you be, why do you become hungry if you've got no need of anything? Uh, and he was tempted to find his identity in his own ability and not to rely upon the promise of God, wherein the devil basically said to him, well, you're starving out here. Uh, you are very hungry. It's 40 days without food and water. You're out here in a place where you are very close to death, <clears throat> and death is going to set in. So what you need to do is take these stones, make it bread, and so live and not die, and so be the Son of God. Son of God would mean an eternal, uh, immortal human living and not dying. And uh, Jesus said, no, I will not live by this. This is not going to give me life, but I will live from every word that comes from the mouth of, of the Father. And I've said it before, and I want, want you to focus on this. Jesus did not live. He said, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. We always interpret that, that man will live from every word that comes from the mouth of the Father and some bread. <clears throat> but that's not how I read that passage. And I think linguistically it would be correct if we say that Jesus said, man will not live by bread alone, but he will alone live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Father. There's nothing that we can do to help God to give us eternal life. The eternal life that was promised to Jesus when he was facing death was that God will be faithful and that he will give it. Now, the temptation that we have every day is we are tempted in our weaknesses. We're going through difficult times, and in those times we think, what shall we do so that we can bring life to ourselves? And then the answer would be simply to believe God. Okay, back to the point. <clears throat> Jesus Christ was going through a difficult time and he was suffering. It says here that he learned obedience by the things that he suffered. Uh, we so many times have interpreted that passage and we think that God puts us through hard times so that he can get us to be more obedient. Uh, I don't see that that would be the meaning of this passage. I think that Jesus Christ, where he was at the right hand of God prior to uh, the incarnation, when he was the eternal word, the logos of God, the uh, the angel of God, if you want to call it like that, or God, the, we wouldn't say God the Son, but we would say the second person in the Godhead, because when we refer to God the Son, we are referring to the resurrected Jesus. But if let's say the second person in the Godhead, where he was in God and as God, he was not obeying anyone. He just lived from everlasting to everlasting he never obeyed obeyed means there's no commandment or there's an instruction which you obey and wherein you rely and from there you have life so here jesus and i think this is what this passage basically just says is says that he was at a point where he was the word was uh, the message that god would bring eternal life then was brought forth in the birth of Jesus and when Jesus was born he was born of a woman and he was born of a woman under the law and he himself was subject to weakness 
Jesus was subject to weakness. Like we've said, he needed food, clothes, and all those kind of things. And as he was walking in that weakness, uh, the way whereby he would have eternal life uh, manifest in his body was by the faithfulness of the Father. And then he had, he, he learned what it was to be at a place where you had to obey someone else and rely upon him to bring forth life to you. And we find that Jesus, in the midst of his weakness, wherein he was living as a man who was subject to mortality, uh, when he became uh, a flesh or a human, he had to believe and rely upon the Father for life. He couldn't rely upon his own works. He couldn't rely upon himself. Death could not hold Jesus. The Bible says Jesus was raised from the dead for death could not hold him. The reason why death could not hold him was not because of uh, Jesus. It was because of the Father's faithfulness to Jesus in that the Father would raise him from the dead. When the Father raised him up and restored him to his former glory, the glory that he had always when he was with God before the creation of the world, he now uh, there was a difference uh, in where he was now, uh, in, in the condition that he's now. The difference is that now, where Jesus is now compared to who he was prior to creation is now he possesses a physical body that was born from Mary that was reborn from the grave and he's seated at the right hand of God as a human being wherein he shows and is bringing forth the promise that God always had for humanity. Now when Jesus was going through this time of weakness was he perfect? Yes he was perfect. Uh, was he at a place where he had to rely upon the Father? Yes, and he walked in that perfection. Now, it says here that Jesus was walking in weakness, but he was then made perfect. That perfection does not refer to a spiritual condition. It's referring to his body where he was now uh, made perfect. Then it goes on, and the scripture says in chapter 6, and this is the point that I want to make. Um, man, I almost want to say I apologize for giving all that information, but there's so many questions that can rise in people's hearts when they listen to this theologically that I don't want them to throw the thing out uh, because stumbling over one little thing and not listening to the rest of the message. Okay, now we get to what I want to say. The scripture says, Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and uh, be taken forward to perfection or maturity. So what he says is, let us not be at a place where we are in the basic teachings of Christ, but let's now move on to perfection. What is he talking about? When we look at this, we can clearly see that the maturity there contextually is referring to the maturity that Jesus has received when he was raised from the dead. So Jesus was made perfect in the day when he was raised from the dead, and then he became the Savior of all who obey him. So when we obey Jesus, then he is the perfect Savior, saving us from what? Saving us, in the context here, of the very thing that he was saved from, which is death. So Jesus prayed, he did die, but he was saved from death in that he was raised from the dead. Now it says when he was made perfect after his resurrection, he became the savior of all who believe him, offering eternal salvation. What is that? That is resurrection again. So now he says, let us move on to this perfection. Now that doesn't mean let us now become immortal. 
What that simply means is, let us not be at a place where we don't know what the message of the resurrection is all about, where we don't know what the basic principles of Christianity is about, of which one is the resurrection message. We need to understand what it means that when Jesus died and when he was raised, his death and his resurrection brings a certain uh, uh, hope for us. We can then, and this is what he's basically saying is, let us then live according to this reality. Let us live according to the reality that Jesus was truly raised from the dead, and we now move on to perfection. What does that mean? We've moved on from being Jews where our identity is in Judaism and in circumcision and in uh, obedience to uh, certain washings and laws and all those kind of things, or let us move on from uh, we are Gentiles and we don't have access to the Jewish way or to, to the, the God of the Jews and so forth. Let us move away from this ethnicity thing. Let us move on to perfection. What is the perfection? It is the fact that the human being Jesus was uh, raised from the dead and is seated at the right hand of God in the fullness of God. Uh, and he was even called by Thomas, my Lord and my God. So, uh, I mean, there's different arguments about what Thomas meant when he said that but let's leave it at that so here we see jesus which would be called the almighty god the everlasting father the prince of peace the savior whatever here he is in bodily form he has now been made perfect so we move on now to perfection what perfection the perfection that jesus christ has received and we can then today walk as perfect christians in the midst of not seeing the perfection that Jesus has in his body, we can walk in perfection today. And I'm going to show that to you from the scripture. Okay, let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Uh, I'm going to read from, let's read from verse 7. Uh, I think we're going to go bit back. Verse 4, it says here, If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. So Paul is talking about having confidence in the flesh uh, and what they would understand under confidence in the flesh would be confidence that he is part of the people of God and that he would uh, the, the promises that God made to Israel would be his. He says, I have says, if someone else thinks they have reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day. He was circumcised in his flesh. He was of the people of Israel, so his flesh was of the right people group. He was of the beloved tribe, Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. So in other words, he was not just a Hebrew. He was now as pure as what you could get. In regards to the law, I was a Pharisee. Pharisees, a lot of them were even zealots or very zealous for their work. They would go as far as to uh, get people out of the way if they could be an hindrance to the work of God. I mean, they were really serious about the law. He says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. Exactly what I just said. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. That's what Paul says. As pertaining to righteousness, according to the law, Paul says he was absolutely faultless. 
But whatsoever, whatsoever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having my own righteousness of, my, of myself that comes by the law, but that which is through the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Wow. So the righteousness that Paul has would be I believe Jesus, and now I stand as I ought to stand before God. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. So Paul is saying, listen, I was a Jew, I lived like a Jew and all those kind of things. That was where my identity was. But I count all those things a loss, meaning that it cannot give me what God wanted me to have. What God has brought to man is through promise. It's not through the law. It is through God fulfilling his promise. Now, the only righteous action towards a promise is belief. That's it. So God made it to Abraham by promise, not by anything that Abraham would do, because if it had to be by his works, then the promise would never be fulfilled because Abraham would do some things wrong. So it was only by promise, only by God being faithful. Or we can say by the faithfulness of God, <clears throat> not my faithfulness, but by the faithfulness of God. So Paul says that he's now counted all things, these things done. He's now believed on Jesus. Then he says the next verse, which is, astounding he says not that i have already obtained all of this he says i have not obtained the resurrection from the dead i have not obtained that which god really wants for me so what does paul say i've perfectly repented and i now believe on jesus but i've still not attained unto what god has installed for me so that means he's at a place where he is not perfect there's still things lacking. There's still things outstanding. He says, not that I have already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal. So that means he has not arrived at the goal of which the last point here is the resurrection from the dead. He has not reached that perfection. He says, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took a hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have been taken, that to taken hold of it. But one thing I do, I forget what is behind me and I'm straining towards what is ahead of me. I press towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now, it can take another 15 minutes to explain all of this, but I'm going to just summarize it by this. What Paul is basically saying is, is he's continuing in the faith and he's not going to allow himself to fall for the temptations of going back to the old way of doing that's what he's basically saying. Like Jesus. Jesus, when he was in the desert, what did he do? He was doing exactly the same thing. He was pressing towards the goal. How was he pressing towards the goal? When the devil said to him, uh, you know, eat, take this stones, make it bread. What was he doing? He was striving towards, straining towards 
what was ahead. It sounds like a hard work, but what it is actually is, it is working to remain in the rest. We did speak about that, uh, I think it was last Sunday. Okay, so he says, I press towards the goal to win the prize. Then he says in verse 15, and this is the crux of everything I want to say. All of us then who are mature or all of us who are perfect should take such a view of things. Let us read it in the King James. Do we have the King James here? Oh, just give it to me there in the, the black Bible, there, the big black one. Thank you. I want to read it to you in... Um, we're going to just go to Philippians here. Philippians chapter 3. It says verse 14, I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if anything uh, you be other minded, God shall reveal even this to you. So Paul says, if you want to be perfect, be this minded. I cannot find my identity in Judaism. I cannot find my, even if I am perfectly righteous by the law, it cannot give me life. Even if I would live the law perfectly, I will still end up on the cross. Uh, it's like the rich young ruler. I've done everything. What do I lack? You know, so he, he's, he's obeyed the whole law, but he still knew he was lacking something. The same with Jesus. If eternal life is a gift that comes from God, which is given to Jesus, and the, prom, the Father says, I will raise you up on the last day, and I will vindicate your belief in raising you up. So, I mean, then it is only by faith. It is by the Father raising the Son, giving the Son then the power to raise us from the dead. So here we find... That he says, let anybody that is perfect be this minded. This he says just after the verse where he says, I am not perfect or I have not attained unto perfection. So the perfection that Paul was talking about was the resurrection, conquering death, experiencing the fullness of God bodily. He says, I don't have that. I don't see that, that the, the purpose of God fully attained in my life, but that doesn't mean I am not perfect. So there's two perfections. The one perfection is what you will rise up into in the resurrection, and the other perfection is on how we live according to that truth. So when we have moved on to perfection, we've moved on to the place where we see that Jesus was raised from the dead. He is perfect. He cannot die. He lives forever. He's eternal. That means something. That means I don't find any of, according to Paul, any uh, of my identity in the old creation, but I am now a new creation. This new creation has received the Holy Spirit, but we don't see the full manifestation yet, but we still see Jesus. We, we see Jesus. I don't see all these things, but I see Christ. I see him raised from the dead. I read verse uh, 16 again. Nevertheless, whereunto we have already... Nevertheless, whereunto we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us mind the same things. He says we have not attained unto that perfection, but what we have attained unto is we are now in the mindset of the inauguration of new creation. We don't live by our own abilities and by our own power trying to reach eternal life by our works as we've preached many times and which can elaborate on greatly which I'm not going to do now, we live unto what we have attained. We've attained unto grace. 
We've attained unto the power of God that has entered into this world. We now know it's neither Jew nor Gentile. It cannot attain anything. The all, all that can really bring forth something inside our lives is new creation. And we find the first manifestation of new creation is in us, and we simply rest. And that's how you live as a perfect Christian. How do we live in obedience to God? Jesus obeyed the Father. How did he obey the Father? He believed the Father. The Bible says in John, 1 John chapter 3, and I'm going to read it here. <clears throat> uh, let's go there quickly. In verse 22, it says, says and whatsoever we ask we receive of him because we keep his commandments and do those things which are pleasing in his sight and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of Jesus of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment so what is obedience to God it's to, what is the command the command is to believe upon Jesus then if we go and look at uh, John, we find that the Bible also says, in, I think it's John 11, it says there that the, or is it now 13? I'm sorry, I can't remember it exactly now. But it says there, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I've loved you. He's given a new commandment. This new commandment, that with that there is in order that. So it's a new commandment I give you in order that you will be able to love one another. And the context there, I believe, is he gave us a new commandment in order that Jew and Gentile can see one another as the same. That commandment was to believe upon Jesus. We find that in John chapter 6. He says, what shall we do that we might work the works of God? He says, this is what God is working at, that you believe on him whom he has sent, and he will raise you up in the last day. That is what this whole thing is about. So as we walk as Christians in this world in perfect obedience, it means to we've moved on from hoping for the Messiah to come, you know, to the earth. We now see that Jesus has come to the earth. He was raised from the dead and he has now a perfect, immortal or mature physical body and he is lord over us we now stand under the rulership of that resurrection and the hope we have is to see that from his power he brings forth life in us for he loves us and therefore in this world we have overcome the world that means that we don't live and have our emotions and feelings and things born from this world but our life is born from god and then we as the Bible has promised, as the scriptures promised, that Jesus Christ will return and we will find the full manifestation of who we really are in, uh, into this world. That is what the scripture teaches. That is what he has for us. I want to end off. We're not going to have a too long message today. I want to end off by simply just putting the focus on what the true gospel is. What the true gospel is. And I want to go to Mark 1. And we're going to read verse 14. Mark chapter 1, and I'm going to read verse 14. This is You will see that um, I will later today also upload a message where I preached on more in depth about a 50-minute message on what the gospel is. 
so I would encourage you if you have time later on this week or if you want to just watch this back to back you can do that there's another message uploaded then or I think I can do it just a, a little bit after the Sunday message uh, so it doesn't mess up the YouTube algorithm for, for my posts. But there's a message that I've preached on what the gospel is, putting a great emphasis on what I'm just going to mention in short now. Mark 1.14. It says, Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And he was saying, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Okay, so Jesus Christ was preaching the gospel. What was the words he used? He says the kingdom of God is at hand. So what was the good news to the Jews? Is that the rulership of God's kingdom would come to earth. What would that mean? What does that even mean to us as Gentiles when we talk about the kingdom of God coming to earth? Now, there are basically two kingdoms, if you want to call it like that. There's, there's well, basically, there's just one kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. And then uh, the, whatever is not in his kingdom is then dying. But let's put it like this. It's a kingdom of darkness and there's a kingdom of light or the kingdom of death and a kingdom of life. This world was made subject to death uh, in Adam, in man. But God made a promise and he said that my kingdom, my rule, which is the rule of life, where life rules, the place where life is ruling and giving life will come to the earth, where we can have the life of God manifest in us. We then find that this kingdom did come to the earth, and what did this kingdom do? This kingdom and rulership of God raised one man from the dead, Jesus, and he then appointed him to rule over whosoever is given unto him by the Father. Then the Father goes, he speaks to people's hearts all over the world. Those who hear and obey the Father is then given to Jesus so that Jesus can raise them up in the last day. So this kingdom of life has now come to mortal earth. And we, fi we found the proof of that in the resurrected Jesus. And there's more than just a proof of the resurrected Jesus. The proof is now uh, expanded even into our lives. We, have now, we are now experiencing ourselves the power of the resurrection wherein the fruit of the Spirit is coming forth in our lives. This is the gospel. This is the good news. When we have moved unto maturity, it does not mean we move away from the message of the resurrection. When we've moved unto maturity, we've moved to the place where it is about the maturity of Jesus, wherein he was raised from the dead, where we are not in the need of hearing uh, the message of the resurrection again, saying, well, we don't know about the resurrection. We've now heard it and we've said, okay, we're not at a place where we're considering it. We're moving on to it. We're now saying, okay, we're moving on to this perfection. We are now expecting a life to be born from the resurrected Christ as we simply rest and rely upon him. We then make our bodies available for this. Hallelujah. This morning, Eliana and I, we read a scripture in uh, Romans chapter 12. It says there that God has given, uh, you know, as what one body has got different members, so the body of Christ has got different members, and that each one must just live according to the grace that God has given him. To those who, uh, you know, must 
teach, let them teach. To those who must prophesy, let them prophesy according to their faith. So just live who you are. We are now at the place where it is not where we're not considering will there be a resurrection, what does the resurrection mean, and all those kind of things. We now understand what the resurrection is, and we've moved on. This is what the Hebrew people would have understand from the old system, and we now we are seeing ourselves in Christ, where there's neither Jew nor Gentile, where it's not about Jewish customs and feasts and circumcision or any of that. It's about new creation. That's what it is all about where it's about a literal new creation some might say but Bertie, i don't know if the creation would be literally a literal new creation well i thank god jesus is the word on everything there was a man born from mary he was born of a woman the bible says natural creation normal creation then he died And then he was raised from the dead. And the Bible says, the day he was raised, God says, you are my son. This day have I begotten you. He was born from the dead. His physical body was created again into an eternal, immortal, physical body that can bear and shine forth the glory of God. That is a new creation. That new creation does not exclude the old creation. That gives us hope. Because if Jesus was raised in another body, and it was not the same body that was raised, then we would have said, well, we cannot be saved, basically, because another us will be formed. It would not be us, really us. That's why Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, says, touch me, it is I. Let me give you a hug. You can feel me. It is truly me. So, the true gospel, uh, church, is the message of the resurrection. And let us now move on to the perfection that there is in Christ. Let us live as perfect Christians in the midst of our shortcomings. So, you might still have this or that or whatever problem in your life. But as you relying and resting upon Jesus and you've moved on to this form of doctrine you are now living as a perfect Christian in this world in the midst of your imperfection or we can put it this way you are living as a perfect Christian waiting for full perfection to manifest in you because you've now moved over into the place of the perfect body of Jesus and what that means for us. Well, we've come to the end of our service, and I want to thank you that I could have just served you with this good news message. I trust that it has enriched you and was an honor for me to teach to you today. The scripture says, those who have, have been graced to teach, let them teach. Do it fully with, with passion in your heart. And that's how I feel about this. Know that you are deeply loved and blessed by God, and we will then chat again next Sunday. God bless.